I'm going to come down here. Um, it is our privilege again this morning to have a baby dedication. And the parents and the children that are being dedicated, if you all want to go ahead and come up here with me. We have two this morning, I believe it is. Here we come. Two princesses this morning. We have Brielle and Avalyn. Avalyn? Avalyn, sorry. So if you recall, if you were here last year, we had 12 babies being dedicated. And since parents usually, you know, every couple of years they add to the flock, I'm expecting 12 more babies next year, just so you all know. We're going to be disappointed unless that happens. And see, she wanted more company too. Okay. So this is a great opportunity we have. And babies cry, that's a good thing. And so we're not going to fuss about that. We'll let her do the fussing. And it is such a privilege, especially in the time that we're living in today, to give just honor and thanks to the Lord for the gift of children. Because every child is, every child is a gift from God. Every child has been fearfully and wonderfully made, and the Lord says they are gifts from Him, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So have more babies. <laughs> so I just want to um, read through um, this um, baby dedication service that we'll have now, and, and just a, a couple points to make. And one is that as most of you know, we at Bernie Bible Church do not baptize babies because nowhere in the Bible do we find it either commanded or illustrated. According to the New Testament, we believe that only those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation should be baptized. But we do believe that it is appropriate for believing parents to publicly present their children to the Lord and to publicly promise to raise their children in the teaching and instruction of the Lord. God has given Christian parents a tremendous responsibility to teach their children about God and His Word, the Bible, to encourage them to place their faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of their sins and for eternal life, and to train them to walk in dependence upon Christ. So this morning, we have these two precious little girls. And I am going to ask the parents to publicly dedicate themselves to that holy task of raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I'm going to read a pledge, and then after I'm done, you can respond, we do. Okay? So we pledge before the Lord to teach our child diligently the ways and word of God, to speak of God's ways and teach God's word, to make it our ambition and goal to not provoke our child to anger, but to bring her, because we have two girls here, her up in the admonition and instruction of the Lord, to teach her of her sin and her need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and the salvation He brings, to live our lives before her in such a way that she sees Christ and His Word lived out in our lives. In your response? Now, congregation, this is for us as well. These parents need um, prayer, and they need the support of a godly Christian community. These parents are going to spend their lives praying that God brings good people into the lives of their kids, people who will encourage them and strengthen them, bless them and love on them, and in all things point them to Jesus. So we've got a role here. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes godly parents and a church. And so we are part of that process. So... If you would repeat after me, I'll use short phrases, and you can repeat after me. We at Bernie Bible Church, we at Bernie Bible Church. Pledge, before the Lord Jesus Christ pledge before the Lord Jesus Christ to encourage and exhort, encourage and exhort. Help, and help and comfort these parents, willingly giving of our time, giving of our time. talents and wisdom, in order to see that these children are brought up under the Word of God, to know Christ as their Savior, 
and to walk in his ways. We love you guys, and we are behind you 100%, and let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the gift of these little girls. Thank you, God, that you've made them, you love them, you cherish them, and you have a good plan for them. And we know above all, God, your one heart ambition is that these children know you. And we pray, God, at an early age, as early as possible, that they would understand you, your love for them, the gift that you've offered them in Jesus, and that they would place their faith in Christ alone for their salvation. We pray that you'd guide these parents, God, to lovingly bring these children to you in their own homes, that they would see the light of Christ reflected, and that they would just be naturally drawn to Jesus because of what they see in their mom and dad's lives. And we pray, God, for your protection over these precious families. We know that the, that the um, forces of hell are arrayed against every family. And we, we thank you, God, that we are hidden in Jesus. And there's nothing the enemy can do to touch us. And we present these kids to you, God, that they would live under that loving protection all their lives as they give their lives to you. And so, God, we pray for great wisdom and grace, for joy and peace for these two dear couples as they point their children to you. We ask for your, for your wisdom for us as well, that all that they would see in this body and in your body at large, God, would do nothing but affirm and and as convince them, God, that their, place, their faith in Christ is not misplaced. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Would have liked to have held Brielle, but I am not her favorite friend. <laughs> makes funny faces whenever I come around her. So, All right, if you would stand, I'm going to read from 2 John, a little epistle of 2 John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth just as we as we have to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as we have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. I'll pray. God, I do thank you for your word, for every word of it, God. It is all breathed from you. Inerrant, authoritative, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we might be equipped as those who are men and women of God. And I pray, Lord, that we would just, again, have open hearts to all that you want to say, and that your word, Lord, would rule in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I appreciate Connor filling in for me last week. Um, I had to suffer for Jesus in Canada. 
I don't know why anybody lives north of the 49th parallel. I am telling you. Quebec, it was actually, it was like a nice summer day. It got up to 33 degrees twice while I was there. A nice summer day for them. Last time I was in Quebec, it was minus 30 the whole time I was there. So it was quite pleasant um, this time. Never known a people that eat so many French fries as the Quebec folks. I mean, there's, every meal has piles of French fries with it. I guess it helps them keep warm. I don't know. <laughs> um, we finished First John, and I thought I would take the, the time here to look at Second and Third John. Very short little letters here. And, um, but they're rich, and, and they really serve as a good summary of of 1 John. The second John was written to, by John, the elder, to the chosen lady. And everybody that I read on this, with only one exception, um, believed that the chosen lady is not a lady, but it's a church. And, he was, he was, and the reason, basically, is because so many times over these 13 verses, when he makes reference to, he says you, it's in the plural. And so it He's writing to a group of people is pretty obvious. And what church it is, we don't know, but we would assume it's the same church that he addressed 1 John to, and that would be the Ephesian church. So two things here, and, and I, again, I did a fair amount of reading this past week on 2 John, and, and in, I was also amazed and impressed because most of the time when you look at different commentaries on Scripture, they all have different outline of the book. The exception would be Romans. Everybody's got the same outline from Romans, which is good. But here in 2 John, everybody's got the same outline. And that is, they would say that verses 4 through 6, he is saying, practice the truth. And then 7 through 11, he's saying, um, protect the truth. Well, I don't like that outline a whole lot. I like the division, but I don't care for practice or protect. Because what he says and this is more to the heart of what he says in the first six verses, walk according to the truth, and then watch yourselves. So I like, because it comes right out of the text, walk and watch, okay? So walk according to the truth. And five times in these first four verses, he mentions truth. So it's a big deal. So it is a big deal in a church that we not just love the Lord, and he emphasizes love four times in these first six verses. Not that we just love the Lord, but as we saw in 1 John, that we have to first know the truth and abide in the truth. God is light. That's an emphasis on truth. And before we can know God is love, we need to know God is light. The one is not more important, but it has to precede the other, because otherwise the God we love is the God of our imagination and not the God of Scripture. So what does the Scripture say concerning God? What is the truth? And we know Jesus personalizes that and says that He is the truth. And so we're not just looking for a doctrinal statement, as good as they are, but we are looking at the person of Jesus Christ, who is Himself the truth. So He says, The elder to the chosen lady, or to a particular church, which is um, churches are elect of God, chosen of God, and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. And so this is why I, I, I'm hesitant to say that, Paul, that John's emphasis here is going to be protect the truth. Because the truth, if it is Jesus doesn't need protecting. Jesus doesn't need any protection, okay? What needs to be protected is my embracing of the truth, my abiding in the truth, my heart toward the truth, but Jesus needs no protection. And in that sense, because Jesus never goes away, even if I walk away from the truth, walk away from Christ, walk away from what's true about Christ, Christ still lives in me. So he says, for the sake of the truth which abides in us, and will be with us forever. So if a believer turns away from Jesus Christ, I mean, people ask me this question all the time. I just taught, spent the whole week last week teaching Romans, and the most frequent question in one way or another always comes back around to, do you really believe that a person can't lose his salvation? 
And I say, yes, I really believe that. A person cannot lose his salvation. And there are a number of reasons for that. We looked at some of that with 1 John, but not least among them is that when you place your faith in Christ, you are made a new creature. And that is God's work. And you cannot undo the work of God. The works of God are eternal, Scripture says. And so if a child is born into this world and loves his family, and then the day comes, he just says, you know, I'm not so happy about this family anymore. I think I will annul the fact that I was ever there. I'm going to go to court, and I'm going to have all the records stricken, and it'll be as though I was never a part of this family. I know a man whose parents did that to him. They just absolutely cancel out any official record that he had ever been a part of that family because he became a Christian. And so they erased him, just absolutely erased him. But they cannot change the historic fact. He was born into their family. And DNA, if they ever did a DNA test, would prove it beyond any reasonable doubt. He was born into that family. When you are born, there is nothing that can undo it. You had no choice in the matter in far, as far as your physical birth, and you cannot undo that physical birth. You've got those parents forever. It's the same thing with the Lord in that once we are born again of Him, even should you walk away from Him, deny Him, say you're not a Christian, it doesn't change what God has done. You place your faith in Jesus, you become a child of God at that moment, and He abides in you, and He will be with you forever. I may not always believe the truth, but I will always have the truth in me. And He will always bear witness concerning what is true. That's a good thing. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, will be with us. So again, John's concerned about them walking away from what they profess to be true. But he is not at all concerned that the truth is going to leave them or that peace and grace and mercy are going to leave them. They may not be experiencing it. They may not be walking in it. But these things are personified in Jesus Christ himself. And you're not going to lose them because you can't lose him. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad, he says in verse 4, to find some of your children walking in truth. How glad? He'll say in 3 John, in verse 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Amen. There is no greater joy. If I hear 10, 15, 20 years from now, if I'm still alive, of students that are walking in the truth, what a great joy. What a great joy. Same thing with my own children and grandchildren. The one ambition I have is that they would walk in the truth with Jesus Christ. There is no greater joy. Be wonderful if they, you know, became rich and famous and I could retire off their wealth and fame. But... (laughs) There is no greater joy than that they're walking in the truth and no greater sorrow if they turn away from the one who is the truth. But the truth will be in them if they've placed their faith in Christ. And so John's just being very personal here and saying it is a tremendous joy to hear that they are walking in the truth. In a world that's so hostile toward those who profess the truth and walk in the truth, Um, It is no small thing to hear those who are continuing on in the truth. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth just as you have received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady or church, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Walk in the truth and love one another. The best way to love one another is to walk in the truth. Remember, John said this in, back in 1 John, and, it's, and well, just to, just to look at, at how he stated it, he says, for, for, by this we know, 1 John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God 
and observe his commandments. We, we divorce love and truth. And we think, I need to focus on truth. I need to focus on love. And Paul says, the best way to love the brethren is to love God and walk in the truth. And the love of the brethren is pretty much going to take care of itself. So, verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. A lot of folks would say this is legalism. (laughs) This is legalism, that we walk according to his commandments. Could be. If I'm walking according to his commandments because I'm hoping from that that I would receive some kind of merit or blessing or favor from God, then yeah, that's legalism. But if I walk according to his commandments because I love him, it's not legalism. Jesus kept the whole law. Nobody accuses him of legalism. Every time Adam and Eve walked by the tree in the garden and didn't eat of its fruit, it's because they loved God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is expressed in obedience. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. It's one thing that we always impressed upon our kids. Loving homes do that. We love you, and obedience is not an option. We expect you to do what we say the first time. And because they loved us, wasn't a problem most of the time. They want to respond because they love us. I, I've said it, you know, I, I was amazed, you know, when, when our children were little, and I'm still learning what it means to be a, a dad, how much they wanted to please. And, and they, they typically just wanted to please. So if I said, do this, do that, they're, te- they're most of the time, there wasn't a lot of fussing and complaining. There was at times. I mean, it wasn't, they're not without sin natures. But most of the time, they really wanted to please because they love. It always reminded me, it took me back to when I used to sit on the lap of my grandfather. And, and um, he was, um, when I was a little boy, he was already in his 80s. And, and he would just sit and smoke one cigarette after the other. And it was like just sitting in, a, in the cloud of the Shekinah glory with my grandfather. And if secondhand smoke should kill anybody, I should have died long ago. Because I would sit on his lap for hours while he just chain smoked. And then he'd say in his raspy smoker's voice, Charlie, why don't you go get us a Coke? Oh, man, I was up. I'd go get the Coke. And it wasn't because of the Coke, it's because my grandfather. Or he'd say, one time watch, sitting on the back porch with him, watching the birds, because that's what old men do. And a big tomcat came and jumped up on the birdbath and flipped the whole birdbath down. And he said, Charlie, go catch that cat. <laughs> cat was as big as me. <laughs> but grandfather wanted me to go get the cat. So I chased that cat everywhere until I found where that cat went. And I won't tell you the rest of the story, because some of you are cat lovers. <laughs> Suffice it to say, my grandfather was not a cat lover, (laughs) which that cat and I both found out that day. But I was happy and eager to please him because I loved him. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. All this is about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not walking in the truth, walking in love, walking in obedience is not about a doctrinal statement and checking it off. Doctrinal statements are important. But you can be keeping the doctrinal statement and not walking in truth and not walking in love. Because that doctrinal statement is not being translated into your life. Hold your finger here and go to Revelation chapter 2. And the first of the seven churches mentioned is Ephesus. It seems that there is no church that got greater attention in the New Testament than the church in Ephesus. We have the letter to the Ephesians, we have 1st and 2nd John, and we have the book of Revelation, which all address the church at Ephesus. And in this church, 
Jesus says in verse 2, Revelation 2, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance that you cannot endure evil men. That's a good thing. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. It's a good thing. And you have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. So when it comes to the testing those who say they are apostles, when it comes to applying the truth test to those who teach among you, you do it. And that's a good thing. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. So your, your doctrinal statement is perfect. You could teach theology. But you've left your first love. You love the truth more than the one who is the truth. In your adherence to making sure all your doctrine's correct, you no longer are devoted to Jesus. You've departed from that pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Wasn't this true of the Pharisees? Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but you are unwilling to come to me. We need the truth. We need to walk in the truth, but the truth is not just doctrine. The truth is the person of Jesus Christ. And that we should never lose that first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. And do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So the first six verses here, walk in the truth. And that means loving one another and being obedient to the Lord, obedient to his commandments. And then he says, beginning in verse 7, watch yourselves when it comes to those who come in and are teaching what is not true. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now again, this is a doctrinal thing. But again, with, with John, truth is not merely doctrinal. And so I think we, are, we make a grave mistake when we make this simply a checklist on good theology, good doctrine, it is important. And I don't minimize the importance of good doctrine and theology. But I believe John has more in mind than an accurate doctrinal statement. And he says, so the false doctrine is the teaching that Jesus is not fully God, fully man, God who came in the flesh and died for our sins and rose again from the dead. That is huge doctrine. And if we don't accept that truth concerning Jesus, then it is another Jesus that we are placing our faith in. So that is absolutely huge. But John is not concerned just with the right doctrine. See, the point of that doctrine, that Jesus is God in the flesh, is that we would yield our lives to him. That we would trust him for all the issues of life because God can handle the issues of this life. I can't. He can. He has come to indwell me so that I would surrender to him, present to him all the issues that concern me. That he would be the means as well as the source for living the Christian life. As Paul says in Romans eleven thirty six, from him and through him and to him are all things. And so it, that is not just doctrine. That is practical. Are we living from him as the source? Why, why am I not? Well, because I don't really believe that Jesus is sufficient. So now that's theology. That's the doctrine. But the theology always impacts the way that we live. Should. And if I'm living one way that is contradictory to the doctrine, then I'm not believing the doctrine that I say that I profess. And if I profess that Jesus is God in the flesh, then Jesus is sufficient for my life, and he's sufficient for yours. Amen? So when John says here, there are those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Maybe they are with their words. And I, again, I don't think that's what John's saying, because I know in John's particular situation, there were people who are actually teaching Jesus is not God 
in the flesh. But you could have people who would be part of a church that would say, I 100% believe that doctrinal statement. Jesus is God who's come in the flesh. But I want to tell you, man, there's a secret to living the Christian life. And that secret is something other than you simply trusting Jesus. To me, that smacks of pacifism. You're being, you're being just passive. You're just, that's a sitting on your hands Christianity. God wants you to do something, man. God wants you to get out there, man. You need to be, and just the list gets long. You need to be telling others about your faith. You need to be memorizing scripture. You need, to, you need to be meditating a certain amount of time every day on God's word. You should be reading 10 chapters a day of the scripture. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But does Jesus need that for him to be the source and means of my life? I could contribute nothing to my salvation. What makes me think that I can contribute anything or he needs me to contribute anything to walking the Christian life? I trust him. He is God. He is sufficient. And if I profess with my mouth, Jesus is God, and yet I'm living my life as though he needs my help. When there's anything to worry about or fret about, and I'm a fretter. One of my favorite psalms is, do not fret. Why would I fret if I believe that God is sufficient for this life? Said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about, going to and fro. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. That's it. Do I have a heavenly father? Do I have a savior who is interested in every detail of my life? Yes. Well, then act like it. And don't listen to those people who would want to bring you into performance for living the Christian life when you couldn't perform to be saved. Watch yourselves. Now, you need to keep an eye on those folks, but the bigger problem is me. Watch yourself because it is so easy to drift into what I have to do. Watch yourself that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. I'm not going to lose my salvation if I start going toward works and performance. But I will lose any reward that the Lord wants for me to have accrued in heaven. My salvation is not in question. Why? Because salvation is not a reward. It's a free gift of God. So I'm not going to lose that. It's not my reward. There is another reward, a reward simply for living Trusting Jesus. Watch yourself. If that's not lost. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Doesn't say he's not a Christian. He just said he's not, he's not living from the Lord. He's not walking with God. And he doesn't have the mind of God, doesn't have the ways of God when he's starting to teach us something that isn't in God's word. I've seen now, this is, this is, there are at least three times that I know of, and there are probably many others, where the scripture specifically says, don't go too far. Do not exceed what is written, is how Paul will put it. What has God said? That's enough. So much of systematic theology, and if I can be so bold, particularly Reformed systematic theology is built on a house of going beyond what Scripture says. I have major problems with that. Logical conclusions, deductions that are not based on what Scripture explicitly says. Arminian theology says that you can lose your salvation. I heard somebody say, there is no one statement anywhere in the Bible that says you can lose your salvation. I like that. There is no verse in the Bible that says that. It says you can lose your reward, as this says. It says you can lose your life. But there is no verse that says you can lose 
your salvation. It's just not there. I heard Arnold Frutenbaum say one time about the rapture and whether or not Christians will go through the tribulation. And he said, there is no tribulation passage in the scripture that mentions the church. None. Find me a tribulation passage, and Arnold says, you will not ever find the church mentioned in that tribulation passage. I've checked him out. He's right. So it is going too far to say the church goes through the tribulation when there is no tribulation passage that even mentions the church. It is going too far to say that you can lose your salvation when all Scripture says is you can lose your reward, you could lose your life. And that's significant, but that's not losing your salvation. It's going too far when theology says that man is so depraved that he doesn't even have the capacity to put his faith in Christ. That's a step too far. Never says that a fallen man can't believe. That is a step too far. And so that is often where the problem is. We've gone too far. We're not comfortable with just standing on the plain meaning of God's word. So when people come in and teach, we have every right to say, show me the chapter and verse. Where does it say that? My very first class in Bible college, very first semester, quarter system we were on, quarter, this um, elderly um, single woman was teaching a class on prayer. Southern lady. And in her nice, sweet, syrupy, southern accent, she would say, what does the scripture say about prayer? And, and, and somebody would say, it says, Pray without ceasing. And she goes, well, that's right. But where does it say that? And we'd be sitting there just looking like deer, you know, in the headlights. And she goes, well, I don't believe you then because you're not showing me where it's from. And we, and man, I'm telling you, we tore our Bibles up that quarter because there was no statement made that she didn't say, show me where it says that. (laughs) And we learned our Bibles. That's what we need to do. People can have tremendous testimonies. But what does God say in his word? People have all kinds of experiences, spiritual experiences with God. But what does it say in his word? Don't go too far. And we begin begin to preach our experiences. We begin to preach certain emphases that have become dear to us. And that's, you know, sometimes people say heresy is just taking a truth and camping out on it, making one thing everything. And that can be heresy too. We We don't accept the full counsel of God's word. And so a truth that's out of balance can become heretical. Don't go too far. Watch yourselves. And does not abide in the teaching of Christ, that person does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of Scripture, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. This is the apostle of love saying, don't open your door. Don't even say hello. Wow. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. So I'm walking down the street here in Bernie, and there's some person that you know, maybe he's just doctrinally, you know the guy is out in left field. And I walk up and I give the guy a big hug and you see me go into the restaurant with him and sit down with him and we're all smiles and everything and you're going, what? Does Charlie accept that guy and what he believes? And so John says here, don't give him a greeting. Don't let him in your house. Pretty strict. Right now there's a quarantine going on in China for an entire city of several million people. It's all in the news, right? Coronavirus. And so there's, there's incidents now, people in the states that have it. Now there's a case in Canada. 
all over the world. And the world's going, we got to shut this down. And that city has something like 4 million, I think I heard people in that city. How do you quarantine a city of 4 million people? Which is just a small village, by the way, in China. Um, how do you do that? But why would you do that? Well, that's not love. You see, I got to be concerned not just with them, but letting a person with a highly contagious, deadly disease, would I allow that person to come in my house even though I love them? And they could expose my children. Chances are very high my children will die if I let that person with that highly contagious, deadly disease come in my house. See, the world's not going, oh, that's not loving to quarantine that city. Everybody's going, build a wall around it, right? Canceled all the flights. And everybody's going, that's what you got to do. But when it comes to the truth concerning Christ, that is a much bigger deal. It is a much bigger deal. Because eternal destiny of folks could be at risk. And he says, watch yourselves and don't even allow those folks to come in the house. Just a couple cross-references quickly. Look over at, at 2 Thessalonians. Some of these smaller epistles a few pages back. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 14, he says, And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him. So John's not the only one who says this. If anyone's not obedient to what we're saying in this letter, take special note, watch him, and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet, don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So John doesn't say persecute the guy, but he says don't let him in your house. Don't give him a greeting. Doesn't say persecute him. And Paul says, don't regard him as an enemy, but... Don't associate with him either. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself or watch yourself, like John says, and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for you, for yourself, and for those who hear you. Not good health, salvation. Much bigger deal than somebody coming to our house with a contagious, deadly disease. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, similar warning, 2 Peter 3, 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you also fall from your steadfastness. So Peter, Paul, and John give the same warning. This is a big deal. It is a big deal. We should know what people are teaching. And we should make sure that Christ is being elevated and that they are not going beyond what Scripture says. It's a big deal. We should not depart into areas in Sunday school classes or behind the pulpit of things like, you know, should you be homeschooling your kids or not? Really? I mean, that, that is not what we're here for. We're here to preach God's word and to have Christ exalted. And there are things that are other conversations and things that can be happening, they can take place in other formats. But we need to make sure that, that we are not going beyond God's word. And so you may have a very strong opinion about whether your kids should be in public school or private school or homeschooled. It's your opinion. And I, and I say that as one who has lots of opinions, as you know. <laughs> Nobody's ever accused me of lacking in opinions. But there are difference between what are our personal opinions and convictions and where the scripture says, stand on this and do not go beyond it. In the next little letter, it's interesting because here in 2 John, John's saying, don't have anything to do with those folks. Bar the door. Don't let them come in the house. 
Don't let them spread their teaching. Make sure that, that you are, are, are watching yourselves, that you're walking in the truth and you're not departing from it. Guard yourselves, watch yourselves. And the second, the third John, he says, take people in. So Paul is not against hospitality. And he wants them. To, in fact, his big problem in this, in this third John is he says, there's one guy in your church, um, Diotrephes, who is telling you don't take people in. Look at 3 John verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. That's a problem. Because again, to, to not accept what he's saying is just another way of saying he's going beyond the word. Because whose word is he accepting? If you're not accepting God's word, whose word? You're going beyond the word if you're not accepting God's word. His word, obviously. Diotrephes' word means more than John's word or the word of God. He loves to be first among them. That's a problem because he's a self-willed, self-promoting individual. Big problem. I mean, that in itself is a contradiction to the Lord Jesus. He did not come promoting himself. He did not come exalting himself. But you've got people in the church that are all about exalting themselves and promoting themselves. That's a contradiction to Jesus Christ. That in itself should be enough to say, "Uh uh-uh. Doesn't matter how well he's handling the word. If he's a self-promoting, self-exalting guy, his life is a contradiction to Jesus Christ. Find somebody who's not contradicting the person of Christ in the way that he's living his life. But Diotrephes does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds when he does, when you love to have been there. Unjustly accusing us with his wicked words and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren, for he forbids them, those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. So if you... If you've got somebody traveling through who's got no place to stay, there's no good hotels. The hotels were all flea bags, and, and to stay in one of those hotels made, hotels made you look like you were part of the scum that lived there. And it wasn't safe. It was places of, of bad reputation. And so Christians needed a place to stay. Well, you'd take them in, as long as they weren't false teachers. And so Diotrephes is saying, don't take them in, and if you do take them in, we'll kick you out of the church. Well, how do you do? No hospitality in the man's heart. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, on the other hand, he has, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we bear witness that you know that our witness is true. What was Demetrius doing? He was receiving people, opening his home. So there's a balance here. We should have open homes, open hearts to the, to, the, to the body of Christ when they are in need. Sometimes the best hospitality is not to put somebody in your home. Not these days, because we've got some pretty good hotels. And if I'm traveling, man, I tell you, especially if Patsy's with me, and uh, you know, I, I, would, I, would, I would just personally, if I'm teaching, preaching, I need to prepare for that, need to have quiet time, I would much rather be in a hotel than be in somebody's home and having to hear the dog bark, kids scream, that kind of thing. You know, love the home, love being with you, love to come to your house for a meal, but, man, you really blessed me to put me up in a hotel. And you know, I don't say that to folks. But, again, it's different times that we're living in today, different times. Back in those days, hotels really weren't a good option. And so you can bless somebody by having them in your home. And there's a, there's a cost and there's a risk. Been a real blessing. I tried to get a place for my oldest son to stay when he took his first job and was living away from home. And I called the church and said, "Listen, I know you don't know me from Adam, but I pastor a church and it's the same denomination. And and I got my son going down there, and I will vouch for him. I can get other references if you want, but I just he needs a place to stay. Is there anybody in the church could keep him?" And they said, "Nope, not going to happen." Wow. Okay, that was their church policy, apparently. Now, I later got a, got a call from, from the pastor, and he was very apologetic that that had happened. That was not what he wanted to see happen, so I was glad that there was a follow-up call. But the secretary picked up the phone and said, there's no way we're going to do that. So we've been burned doing that. We're never going to be burned again. So okay, there is risk. But generally speaking, he's saying, open up your hearts. 
Hebrews will say that some have entertained angels without even knowing it because they opened up their homes, opened up their hearts to people who were in need. But if they're false teachers, if they're teaching something that's taking you away from the centrality of Jesus Christ, and it can be good things that take us away from the centrality of Jesus Christ, Paul says, stiff arm them. Should not come in your, in your house and you should not be embracing them or what they're teaching. Walk in the truth and watch yourselves. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for these simple things. We've all probably heard them before. But God, we need the reminder, obviously, or you wouldn't have written it to be the eternal word of God. I pray, Lord, that we would more than just affirm a good doctrinal statement, as important as that is. But that our very lives, God, our heart, what we are devoted to, what we love, would be a reflection of Jesus. And that our ambition, our master ambition, would, not, would be to not depart from him. That he would be our first love, and the one that we manifest that love by obeying him. And then in turn, God, that we would love him, love each other, walk in the truth, God, as you have saved us for. And I pray that we would not be um, wrong, God, in where we draw our lines. And that if there's folks, Lord, that are diminishing Christ and the impact that they're having is, is clearly dangerous to the souls and faith of others, that we would would draw that line. But if it's other things, God, that are our preferences and our opinions that are not essentials, that we would be charitable. And that our homes and our hearts would be open to those that we don't always agree with on those non-essential things. We need your grace and your wisdom for this, and we thank you, God, for the reminder we just had that your grace and your mercy and your peace and the truth that is in us will never leave us. In Christ's name, amen.